scripture says, wherever two or three are gathered, there I will be also. So you realize Jesus himself, through his Holy Spirit, is in this room right now, wanting to speak to your heart. So if you never hear another word that I say, I don't even care if you're listening to his words. Because he matters more than anything else in the entire world. He is life in flesh. And I remember when his presence dropped in me, just one of the moments that shifted this whole thing from in my head when I was getting drunk to actually knowing him. And that was a moment when I was at a restaurant and I was serving tables and This is during that same season where I'm trying to understand and I'm seeing some miracles happen. I'm seeing God change people's hearts and and I'm seeing radical things begin to happen and I'm questioning, but I've never really stepped out and done it. And so as I'm watching YouTube videos and all these different things, I come and I'm serving a table and as I'm talking to them and just getting their orders, I'm hearing like the Holy Spirit just press on my heart ever so slightly pray for them, talk to them about Jesus. And I am having this inner dialogue with, with God, and I'm like, God, that's, this is awkward, man. I'm like, that's not my job, you know. I don't want to get fired. And then, the, you know, I feel the conviction, like, if you mention Jesus, are you really going to get fired? <laughs> and I'm like, um, and so I'm going back and forth, to take some trays away, so I'll go to the table, feel the heavy, heavy conviction that just kept getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And then at one point, I go and I take that last tray for this table, and I know that probably in a few minutes they're about to head out, and I feel this conviction again, talk to them about Jesus, and and I start walking back to take that tray back. And as I'm walking, I feel the Holy Spirit's conviction in a way that I hadn't felt. And I'm just feeling awful. Then I heard his voice in my heart, you know, like when you just like, you just know that you know that God's speaking something to you. I felt him say to my heart, even if you don't tell them about me, I'll still love you. And it hit me so hard. And I remember telling the Lord, I said, God, if you love me this much, then they need to know that kind of love. And it was in that moment that I wanted to tell them about the Lord because I was understanding he was so good he didn't want to use me. That it was a privilege that he was that good that he's worth telling people about. And I went up to the table and right before I did, I realized that there was something happening in the spirit and it felt like there was this wall that I was pushing against every time I would feel like I should pray for them. It just felt like I just can't, man. It's too awkward. It's too hard. There's just something. There's some sort of a boundary. But then in that one moment, I said, 
to feeling the love and the presence of the Lord. God, they need to know this love. And I stepped over that line and I realized there wasn't anything there. It was something, the awkwardness, the weirdness, that I haven't done anything like this before, that I haven't seen anybody, but I knew it was the right thing to do. Stepping over that line, I realized the whole thing was a lie from the enemy. This line, all these thoughts, you can't do that. This is off. You haven't seen anybody. All the excuses were a bunch of lies after lies after lies. And as I crossed the line, then I realized I could take another step. If I can talk to them about God, then I can tell somebody else about God. And then I can tell somebody else about God and somebody else about God. Because God's actually real. The lies aren't. In Jesus' death, it showed the worst man could offer and the very best that God could. Jesus was suspended on a cross between heaven and hell so that hell would not be your home. Michael Coliano says, Jesus was stripped naked so you would be clothed in his glory because for the first time in history, man spit in the face of God. Never before. Deuteronomy says a man hung on a tree is cursed. This is a scripture Jesus would have read as a child. And he would have known as he read it, when I become a curse, I lift the curse off them. Gospel is Jesus saying a life for a life. For the longest time, it was the blood of bulls and goats, and there was all these sacrifices, and they were all meant to be temporary because there was only one that could truly save and fulfill, and it had to have been God himself, a perfect life, perfectly God, perfectly man. Jesus took on being born as an infant. Can you imagine that kind of humility? God himself was helpless in the womb of a woman. Before the foundation of the world. Psalm 22 says, he poured out his life as an offering and it pleased the Father to crush him. Why did it please the Father to crush him? What did Jesus have to gain by coming to earth? Jesus had absolutely nothing to gain by coming to earth except for one thing, and that thing is you. He endured the cross for the joy set before him. You are the joy set before him. That as he was on the cross, he was thinking of you. He was thinking of having a relationship with you. He was thinking 
about knowing you. He was thinking about having eternity with you because he loves you. Isaiah 53.10 says, It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief, and when his soul makes an offering for guilt by his knowledge, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. What the scripture is saying is that Jesus himself on the cross carried your sins on himself, and he made you right with God. He bore it. He took it upon himself, the weight of every sin on his shoulders as he was hanging there. And then he said, it is finished. And the curtain was torn in two. There was a curtain that used to separate the priests from everyone else. And the great high priest, which was the most important of the most important of priests in the area, would go into a special room one time a year. And he would make a sacrifice to the Lord. And it's the closest that a man could get to the Lord. And only the priest was allowed into that room. Only the anointed one, only the special man of God was allowed into that room. And he wore a little bell on his shoe attached to a rope. So when he entered that room, if he was just pretending to be close to the Lord but wasn't actually, he would fall dead. And if he fell dead, they would hear that the bell stopped ringing and then they would pull him out. Guys, this is so real. This happened. People died trying to get close to this altar. There was literally a man and this happened a little over 2,000 years ago. They would do this every single year. This isn't a story. This is a historically accurate thing that happened every single year. And sometimes they would fall dead under the weight of the glory of God because they were not worthy, because they had not fully confessed and they weren't fully right with the Lord and they would be drug out. And this curtain that separated that inner chamber from the rest of the temple, from the rest of the world, it was approximately four inches wide. One commentary says that if they attached four different horses to it, and they all tugged at the same time. The curtain had to be able to resist tearing. This was thick. It took multiple people time to put it up. And this curtain was torn down the middle when Jesus died, signifying that that separation is gone. That you can be with Jesus. That his spirit is now unleashed. It no longer has to be stuck in an ark of a covenant or in a temple or anything else. It had to be there because the sin was the separation. But as on the cross, Jesus became sin, there was now no more need for the separation because his spirit would come to fill his people. So in the same way that priest could walk in and be with God, now you are the temple. The Lord can come into your body the way he came into that temple. The presence of the Lord can rest on you 
for the first time ever in history. The price has been paid and the Lamb of God was slain and then he descended into hell. And the scriptures don't give the clearest definition of exactly what happened down there. So we can only guess. But in Colossians 2, Paul writes that Christ, when he was down there, disarmed the rulers and authorities. What that means is it's a symbolism as if a fallen soldier was on the ground and he was wearing armor. It was as if you took the armor from the soldier and tore it off so that there was nothing left. He disarmed the rulers and the principalities. This is our Jesus. And he made a show of them in public. So this must have meant there must have been some sort of gathering of angels and demons, enough spiritual things to make it a public showing of the enemy so that as Satan thought he was stripping Christ on the cross. Satan was actually the one being stripped of all his power, which means as a believer, if the enemy comes against you, the enemy has no power because he has been stripped of his power in the blood of Jesus through the cross. This is the moment it happened. Down in those three days, he was being disarmed of all of his power and he was being made a show of in public through the triumph of the cross. Jesus destroyed the grave so that you would not fear it. You have no more fear. America, the world, everyone is afraid of death. Everyone is afraid of the grave. Everyone is afraid to die. But Jesus destroyed the grave so you will be with him forever in relationship with him. And on the third day, Acts 2 says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Do you understand that it wasn't possible for the earth to hold the one who made the earth? The creator of the universe could not be held down by death. And he rose. And what did he do when he rose from the dead? He appeared to his disciples and he said to them, look at the holes in my hands. As I mentioned earlier, if you look, look at the records from the atheists, look at them from the Christians, all those people with doctorates that have peered through the ancient records and the scrolls and everything, the way that we keep records today, they have the hardest time admitting because there's no way to counter the fact that hundreds of people saw him when he was alive. There's historical evidence that he actually, in body form, was raised from the dead, appeared to the disciples, and that's why he said, look at the holes in my hands so I can prove to you that it's real. I don't want you saying, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. Look, see for yourself. See that it really happened. 
And then after he showed himself to them, then he shared with them that everything their fathers talked about, everything their father's father talked about, all these stories, they were all about him. Every story, every great love song, every romance, everything in the scriptures, they were all fulfilled in Jesus himself. Things were written hundreds, thousands of years ago about the way that he would die. It was about him, the line of David, about him. He appeared to Mary in the garden, potentially symbolizing the garden that Adam and Eve came out of. And as he appeared to them, Mary came to him, probably to hug him or something, and Jesus said to her, don't cling to me. He said, Mary... Don't cling to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. I haven't gone up yet. And maybe that was confusing because she hadn't seen him for three days and she thought he was dead. But what he was saying to her is once again, when I go up, you have me right now in the flesh, but when I go up, you don't have to spend a moment without me. Because it's better that I go up because then you can live the rest of your life. And I will dwell inside of you. I will speak to you. I will love you. I will be your all in all. Ephesians 1 says, What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, that when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, Jesus is far above the government, your problems, the devil. He is seated above all of it. So that every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come, not even in this earth, but the next earth, he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, the church, his bride, you. The church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all and all. He wants to fill you with himself. That's all he's wanted. From the beginning. And now he sits on the throne. And his robe fills the entire temple. And on the throne, there is a full rainbow surrounding him. And in front of him, a sea of crystal glass. And there is creatures around the throne. And each one of the creatures has six wings. And its entire body is covered in eyes. Maybe for all the different angles of his glory. Because every time they would look at him. They would sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And he is coming back for a bride that he has purified in his blood. 
He is coming back for you. Not out of performance that anything you can do, but he did it himself to win you. When you were far away from him, the Bible gives examples of a man marrying a prostitute. And in so many ways, we've been like that in the past. But he bought us back. He purchased the price. And the most beautiful part, can I tell you, one of the most wonderful parts is he didn't come to change you. His priority actually isn't even to tweak you. He doesn't want to fix your heart. He doesn't want to change your heart. He says he will, in, he says he will replace it. The Bible talks about a heart of stone turning to a heart of flesh. After you come to believe in Jesus, the next thing that happens is people get baptized. Why do they get baptized? Because it's a symbol of what is happening. You are dead. And he brings you back to life. That is what happens in the name of Jesus. You guys can all stand. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you. And we turn to you. If we used to cry at your name and our hearts have grown in any way dull, if we've given you priority and then you've lost all priority, Father, if you used to be the CEO of our life and now you're just a friend we talk to sometimes, if we haven't had relationship with you, if we realize our lives have been far from you, distant from you, with every head bowed right now in this room, eyes closed, if you would say that today you haven't been as close as you wanted to be and you want more of God. You want more of Jesus. You want to be set on fire like maybe when you were first saved or maybe a long time ago you have a memory of what it used to be like. With nobody looking, if you just want to raise your hand, if you say, yes, God, I want to burn on fire for you like I did before. I want more of you. I want more of you, Jesus. And if this morning you would say, I don't know if I've ever heard the gospel like this before. I didn't know that he would replace my heart. I don't think I've had that really happen yet. I still feel anxious, worried, stressed out. My heart is far from God and I'm ready to become right with God. If that's you, with nobody looking around, just slip up your hand. raised your hand or you wish you did to say Jesus I want more of you the altars are open right now if you want more of God he will change you your life will never be the same this is your moment you can come to the front and say Jesus I've been a little distant from you and I'm ready for more of you 
you meet Jesus at the altar right now, there is nothing else worth living for. Is there a lie that you've been believing from the enemy that there's something else that you just, there's something else you need to solve and then you can come to the altar. There's something else you need to solve and then Jesus will help you. Is there a lie that you've been believing? Now is the time to say, God, I'm not willing to let this moment pass without interacting with your face. So if you say, God, I want more of you, you can come to the front and just keep your eyes on Jesus for he alone will satisfy. And it's not the altar that saves. The altar does nothing. But it's the one who you meet at the altar. Is Jesus. You can come to church and not meet Jesus or you can come to church and meet him. It's up to you. Are you going to slip out the door without anything changing in your life or are you going to allow him to have all of your heart, all of your life right now? Thank you, Father. If I 